have a seat. Thank have you. Have a seat in the sun. Well, you found me, you found the right up. So you followed the endeavors of uh, Ricky Houghton. Oh, yeah. And White Trust. Ricky Houghton, this is your life. <laughs> I was born in West Auckland. Um, um, my mother ran away with my father, who was an Englishman, fought with the Maori Battalion, came here, and um, she was um, uh, had a prearranged wedding. And when she fell in love with my father, my uncles went to go and get here uh, at the request of my grandmother. And um, she said, "Oh, look, I've fallen in love with this Englishman, and so I, I don't really want to come home." And so she was told, "Well, okay then." Um, if you don't come home for your prearranged wedding, you can never come home. And it was only when she died that uh, people turned up to bring her back home. And um, that's when I, I mean, I, I'm a typical urban boy, come home. I, I didn't know where I was from. Um, but that was um, the first time you met your uncles, your family? A lot of extended family, yeah, that was the first time I met them. But since that time, it was just, that, that was just what happened at that time. It's not a slur on uh, any of them whatsoever. It was just something, that's what happened at that time. There was so much dislocation in that time, wasn't there? Yeah, there was a big urban drift mm. down into the cities. What year what years were these? Uh, when my mum died, mm. uh, 1990s, in the 90s. And so, uh, yeah, I came home in 2000. But I, you know, I love the, I think the far north is full of potential. It's, it is so, uh, it, is, it is truly the land of opportunity. But um, what these families are looking for is they're looking for someone to help lift them up onto the bottom rung of opportunity and they too just need a bit of a push start. We hope that this project does that. Um, the Trust mission is um, developing tinoranga tiratanga or assisting families to achieve their maximum potential. And so that's what gets me up and brings me to work, to work with the families to... Um, develop strategies and build hope uh, that they can reach their full potential. Well, you would have so much credibility having been down there, I guess. Yeah, I, I, um, I haven't got any credentials in terms of academic credentials. I was a young father. I left. Uh, I was a father at 14, um, got a school exemption and went to work. But uh, in spite of that, uh, I mean, my wife today there, she's... Um, She's allowed me the space to come and do the things that I do. I mean, I, I work up here during the week and I go back home in the weekend, to back to Auckland. So I've been doing that for 15 years now. I'm a commuter. Yes, yeah, so I, so I, I um, live on my um, mother's ancestral land and I, um, I actually done a small-scale model because I put a relocatable home on 17 acres there to develop the model uh, before we started this project to make sure that I understood uh, the basic uh, sort of uh, key fundamentals of relocating houses so I done that and I thought to myself well you know um, you wouldn't expect anyone else to do it unless I done it myself and so I done it myself first and then put a house on 17 acres of land and that's where I live during the week and then I go back to I have another home in Auckland that's where my family and grandchildren live 
You said you spent some time on a psych ward. Can you, yeah. can you talk about that? What happened there to you? Well, it was a state therapy. I mean, what happened was, was that um, the uh, government uh, um, of the day said that um, I wasn't under proper control and because there was a history of um, schizophrenia in my mother, uh, in my family, that I must have that too. And so they just said, based on that, that's that's where you'll be. So I, I spent um, uh, quite a lot of time in psych units, but I was supposed to be given an, an apology where they came around and they spoke to people who had uh, been given um, shock treatment. And so um, at that time, the person leading that campaign was uh, became Governor-General, and so he didn't come. Uh, Satyan. Judge Satnian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the um, he was a High Court judge, and he was leading it there. Um, and I knew him from West Auckland when he was on the bench. When I was working in the community at that time, there was him and Mick Brown, uh, Judge Mick Brown, and um, Judge Satnian was just a circuit judge in the district court. But I knew him then because I was working in the community. So you never got your apology. I did get the apology, but not the way that I wanted. I wanted them to apologise to me in front of my family. Uh, my wife and children and my extended family were waiting at the Marae. I wanted them to apologise to me in the Marae. Mm. But um, Judge Satanian became Governor-General and the other circuit judge said that uh, no, I had to go up to the Northerner uh, into a room and sat there and um, and that's, it was, but it was only me there, uh, me and my wife, not my family. Oh. It seems extraordinary that as late as, that, was this the 1980s, the 1990s when you were in the psych wards? No, it was the 1970s, 1970s. late 60s, early 70s. Even so, it seems extraordinary that you could be put in there because your mother had some sort of condition. Oh, well, I was a naughty, uh, I was a naughty boy. What happened was, as I said there, um, I was always the, f you know, I was always the first one, first one put through a window and the last one out of a stolen car. I mean, when I, when I was eight or nine, I went to play with my mates that were the same age and, um, you know, they said, oh, well, we can't play with you because your mother's mad and... Your father drinks a bit, but Dad had a bit of a breakdown. He was a barman, and he drank. And so, uh, as a result of that, I went and um, I went and played with guys about 18 or 19. And I sort of done the things that 18 and 19-year-olds done. Yeah, that's why I ended up to be such a young father. Yes, yeah, so here we are, Lois. Um, by default, we found ourselves down at the Kaitaia Hotel. How's that? I think it's pretty impressive, actually. Yeah. But here we're. We uh, actually took possession of the of the old hotel at the end of April. And it's now mid-August, so you've done a tremendous amount in a few months. Yeah, we've done a lot of work. Everybody's worked really hard, but we're so, you know, so proud. Uh, a lot of people have contributed to what you see today, good tradesmen. Uh, there's a lot of support out on the footpath. There's a lot of encouragement wherever we go, and... Um, and we're just so thrilled um, that really this opportunity just dropped from the heavens. What's your vision for the building? Okay. The vision for the building is to um, uh, turn it into a, a social and economic growth business hub incubator where uh, like-minded organisations can co-locate and uh, collaborate, share the resources, share the skill, share their knowledge and share the love. We think that um, um, once we get once we get the building uh, looking right, um, we can uh, go out to registrations of interest uh, to like-minded groups to come in 
uh, and work alongside us with the families that really, at the end of the day, we're all trying to help. What sort of groups do you think might take up residents here? Yeah, I think there'll be a, a huge combination of groups. I think right from Grey Power. I know the Refuge have already said they want to come down and move their uh, operation, not their, not their safe homes, but move their operations down here. I think uh, medical... Uh, Lance is uh, wanting to come across now that he's seen what we're trying to do. Lance O'Sullivan? Yeah, Lance has, Lance has gone across the road. That's a 12-month lease. Um, Over at the hospital he's got his clinic, hasn't he? Yeah, he's got his clinic there, but uh, he's wanting to relocate the clinic. He's moved his um, public health team uh, to across the road. Moko team? That's right. The one that does the, the testing for rheumatic fever? And That's right. And yeah. so and so, what's happened is, is that... Um, um, we've uh, teamed up with Alliance uh, through the Rural Regeneration Program, which is um, uh, doing the substandard housing up in the way far north. The last settlement north to Harpua. How's that going? It's going really good. We've uh, now um, sort of assessed the homes. Um, the money that we have got, uh, which is seven hundred and fifty thousand, uh, isn't going to go a long way because of the amount of need up there. But what we have done is uh, we've um, uh, done the assessments, we've gone through the procurement stage for contractors and we're ready to start up there in the next couple of weeks. How many houses involved? Um, 22, 22 houses. Okay, and what's wrong with these houses? The houses are, um, have got really uh, quite life-threatening, the power, there's no water, intermittent sanitation just weathered old homesteads that are way past their sort of life expectancy uh, where the families have um, been brought up, huge families brought up in these homes mm. that they've now moved on and you're seeing sort of second and third generation uh, children being raised in them but uh, as a result of that there's um, multiple sort of um, health problems developing things like uh, like rheumatic fever, uh, skin infections, uh, hepatitis, all the respiratory diseases you can think of. Now when you say you've teamed up with Lance O'Sullivan, these are some of his concerns, aren't they? I mean, um, in what way are you teaming up with him? Yes, yeah, so, so what happened was Lance is a, um, obviously a health advocate. Lance wanted to address the uh, not so much the symptoms but more the causes of it all of the health, uh, of the needs of the family, and uh, the Ministry of Health asked us if we could work with Lance and look after the social needs of the kids, but that was going to be run through the schools. I didn't want to put the resource at the school, and so there's been a few problems there, but my primary concern was there's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 160 hours, and if you put all the resources into the schools, that's 30 hours a week, Who's going to look after the other 138 hours a week for these kids? So it doesn't matter how much resource you apply during them while they're at school. There's only three places that uh, children can be. That's in school, at home or in the community. Now they're at school for 30 uh, and as far as I was concerned they had enough support in the schools through the current Mukul program that Lance is driving through the schools. Uh, through the social workers in schools uh, and through the other uh, healthy eating programs and everything that the kids had at school. So if you, if you apply all the resource to the kids while they're at school and nothing's done, that's for 30 hours a week, but nothing's done about the other 138 hours a week in the other two spaces, the amount of effort and energies that's put in them 30 hours a week quickly dilutes.
So what are you going to do in the homes? I mean, is it just a matter of physically restoring the houses, fixing it's, the it's, houses? It's, it's, a, it's a matter of uh, having the houses assessed, which we've already done, have them ranked in terms of uh, need and safety, health and safety issues, which we've already done, and then a matter of um, finding people that understand what we're trying to do, um, and that's reflected in the hourly, hourly rates. I mean, if you were to look at um, Te Hapua, Te Hapua is 103 kilometres one way north of Kaitaia. So it's still a fair way up the road. And one of the reasons why we selected Te Hapua was because uh, it is a very deprived and uh, neglected community and it's long overdue to have their fair share of opportunity. So we've gone up there and we've picked Te Hapua. Um, we're sort of starting to regret it at the moment because it's an hour and a half travel. And when you've got to sort of hop in the car... It's not like going out to Pangaru or the other uh, sort of uh, eastern and western borders of the far north. It's a fair hike up the road. Uh, and in the middle of winter, there, a lot of the roads are non-accessible. They flood. So it's not an easy road to track. It's almost like you need somebody up there. You need somebody up there. And so we've called for registrations of interest from qualified, um, skilled tradesmen. And we're still going through that procurement process at the moment. Yeah, $750,000. And that came from the social housing unit within the Ministry of Business and Innovation and Economic Development. The objective of the $750,000 is to give a provider a resource and see what they can do with it and how much they can add value to it. So is this like a test? If it works, you'll get more? I think if it works, we certainly would have developed a model and the business case to go down at the moment, I don't think anybody truly knows the extent of Māori housing in the, far, in the Northland, the need and the priority. So what it does is it's developed a, a great model and a business case where you can sort of go down to Treasury and sort of say to them down there, look, we know that there's X amount of houses out there, we know that these are the problems with their houses, here's the photos, here's the independent assessment from a very highly qualified consultant that has quantity surveyed it, that has been able to uh, measure the amount of need. Here's a medical report which says that if you fix uh, these issues, those issues will go away. So in terms of the benefits on the health system, both short term and long term, you'll be very happy. Uh, things like hepatitis there because of no water. That's something that you will not uh, get uh, until a later stage there because there's no water up there for people to wash their hands because they have no, they just have just long drops, no water. So there's no plumbing. No. There's no plumbing. There's no tanks. There's 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 live wires running through these people's houses. Um, they're death traps. hard to imagine people living in those conditions in this day and age. Yeah, it's hard to imagine it. Were they always this unsound, these houses? I mean, if their grandparents... Well, they're condemned. All the housing up there is condemned. All of it. So what I'm doing is I'm using tradespeople and all the work that's been done, undertaken, has been undertaken up to the building code to make the money go uh, stretch a little bit longer. What I've done instead of instead of replacing uh, windows, for example, that are all rotten, I'm using second-hand windows here. I've demolished some houses uh, down at Spring Hill Prison, and I'm going to use uh, second-hand materials, second-hand weatherboards, second-hand uh, whatever materials for interior doors. Whatever I can use second-hand, I will. But um, what you're talking about 
the, the, there's problems above the ground, but the real problem is below the ground. With sewage? Or yeah, water, infrastructure. Water. Infrastructure. Okay. So why don't they have a water supply up there? I mean, why don't they have tanks to collect rainwater? That's a good question. There's houses up there that have got water tanks. They've got no power because they can't afford to pay the power. So they can't pump the water? And pump the water. It would be a good case for perhaps a solar energy project. They get a lot of sunshine up there. Yeah, solar energy is a good idea. I wonder who would be prepared to fund that. $12,000 a house solar energy to put anything... Anything half decent. You could, have a, you could have a community wastewater system. You could have a... I mean, the council system up there that they've already got up there isn't working. The council needs to go in and fix it. So these people are paying rates on infrastructure that's <clears throat> either non-existent or doesn't work. Yeah, and, and, and there is a problem because uh, the houses are on Maori land and there's um, the ownership of the system and where it's going to go. A lot of these families, the reality is is that, I don't know whether you know uh, the story with uh, up there in Tahapua, it's called a no-go zone, so you can't go up there and go on a benefit. So if these people if these people have the council go up there and put systems in, there's no way they could afford to pay for it. So how do they live if they can't? They're not yeah, a, lot of them live off, a lot of them live off uh, the ocean. Some of them uh, have sort of uh, grandfather rights where they were on benefits prior to the legislation uh, coming out, and so that they would, but not all of them. When did that no-go no zone legislation come in? I think it was about in uh, uh, 2008. So did that force a lot of people out of communities like that? Or yeah. Did that, that they did? Yeah, so what happened is, is that you have a, a generally older population up there where uh, the kids are left with their grandparents and elderly, elderly people, while their parents go out of the community to work, uh, be it uh, kairai or whangarei, kiri kiri, because they cannot um, get any work or sustain themselves, so they go outside the region to get work and leave the kids with the um, grandparents. And is that causing problems? Is that a problem in itself? It, it, it causes problems because, um, you know, um, uh, kids, are, kids are kids, and um, some of the families there have quite a few, you know, six, seven children staying there with their grandmother, their elderly couples there. and That's and a lot for one nana, isn't it? It's a lot for one nana. It's a lot for it's a lot for uh, middle-aged parents. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they're living there, and they've got these little children, and they've got no plumbing, and they've got no running water in some cases. Where are they getting the water from? From the neighbours, from wherever they can. They catch it in whatever they can, wherever they can. And buckets. Mm -hmm. You go into the kids' and the kids' rooms and they've got commodes in there because they can't use the toilet at night time because it's too wet. So what they do is they use the commodes and that in their rooms and then empty the buckets out in the morning. So you say there's a hepatitis problem up there? A lot of families who have grown up in there that are living in Auckland that have got histories of, uh, of, of hepatitis and they would have only got it through uh, hygiene, hygiene facilities up there. A couple of the houses, raw sewage just runs straight underneath it. And the kids are playing on the... The dirt, and of course, you know, dries up. Kids play on the lawn there, and then that's how they get the skin infections. We are talking third world conditions here, aren't we? Because it's so far out of the way, I suppose people can turn a blind eye to it. The authorities perhaps don't see it, don't know about it. Hmm. And I don't think it gets any political support. It won't get any political support up there because it's where to start, and that's that's what's going to be the magic of this program. Uh, the first thing is is that uh, this, for the very first time in a long time, this community is going to see that people do care, 
people do want to do something about it. In fact, that we are doing something about it, but we have to make uh, we have to make them a priority. And I think that's what we're going to be able to do for the first time in a very long time. So I'm excited that um, I'm excited that we're going to get up there and um, we're going to uh, do the very, very best we can with the funds and the proceeds that we have got. It will be very interesting um, the evaluation of this project because we've got some costings from Housing New Zealand on what they think it should cost to do these houses as a measuring stick. But I think you could never compare these houses with a housing corp home because every now you pull out, you look underneath and everything's going to be rotten. Is it, it is. worth trying to save these houses, Ricky? I mean, could, should they just not be demolished and, and new ones put up? Yeah, um, yeah, there's a couple of houses there that we've sort of said there's nothing too much that we could do about it. But at the end of the day, where are we going to house these families? Um, to them, that's home. It's always been home, and you've got to respect and admire them. I mean, um, one thing I will say is that, you know, you go there, there's always a beautiful smile. You've received very, very uh, proudly and respectfully from these families. They um, do the very best they can, given the resources and their living conditions, the way, they, the way that they live. They invite us into their homes. They're very forthright. They're very honest. They're very proud. They're very excited that somebody's... Uh, come sort of try and see what we can do, how we can make them a priority. Some of them, some of the houses need to be demolished, yeah, that's true. But for us it's a house, but for them it's home. I mean, they could keep their old homesteads. Very, very, very nostalgic for a lot of people. Mm. I mean, you've only got to sort of look at uh, on the side of the doors there and you can see where the different kids have grown up in different periods of their life. And there's memories of uh, years gone by everywhere you look and um, yeah, it's, it's just it's just beautiful the brutal reality of it is is that uh, when the when the cold weather and the winter sets up there the, um, it, 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 it's a beautiful place to go and have holidays and to be able to come and drive to and probably drive away from but for those that are left behind um, it's a very very cruel environment dream of yours come from? The dream came uh, from the people themselves when they came into our offices looking for somewhere to stay, looking for a safer, improved quality of life and a safer living environment. So this project responds to the needs of the people that sit across our desk every day as a model to say, look, this is what we can do. The Kauruai Trust was um, incorporated uh, in um, 2001 we started operations so the last 14 years you started on a fairly small scale very small scale but in terms of housing now we we save um i mean here we have a project that's uh is going to put people into their new affordable homes social housing don't have a look in this house this is the one they're all they're all up to the same stage looking very, very trim and tidy um, this is the house that Horny got arrested in. Dallin, Dallin, Glen Eaton. Yeah. What a difference! Right. 
is Lois. This is Lois. Leo. Leo's dad was uh, one of the original trustees. Leo's first one. I'm just going to take you into one of the houses. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? It is. I haven't seen it since it was really, really first stages. Yep. Second stages. Yeah. And it just looks awesome. Got some. Well, come and have a look. About a year and a half. Have you had a look inside, Leo? I'd love to have a look inside. Yeah. So they're in a pretty sorry state, these old places, were they, Ricky, when you got them? They're all broken and smashed up. Who's done all the work on them? Uh, prisoners, trades. Yep. Prisoners? Yeah. From Rafa? Yeah. Okay. They came up everywhere. Wow. This is pretty posh. Polished floors, natural timber. Yeah. Neutral decor. Just got a, just got the water on that's why we couldn't finish them there because we had to cut and polish, cut yep. and polish all the um, wine. Yeah. But um, for what they are? Are they insulated? Um, only in the roof and uh, I don't think the walls are. Under floor as well. Under floor and in the roof. Oh, that's pretty good. They feel warm, don't they? Even though it's a cold day. So this is the living room, lounge room. And three bedrooms. Three bedrooms. They're, they're all about the same. Yep. You got families lined up to move in. Yeah. Hey, you want to see where they're staying at the moment? Where are they staying oh, at the moment? Wash houses with a. Oh yes, they're all wash house on wash the back porch. And, um, and a little deck out the back. Yep. But this is oh, it. This is beautiful. This is five acres. It's fifty acres. So where are the boundaries here? Out past the. Um, way back where those trees are there. Alright, so you've got a lot of space This is here. five acres. Yep, where the house is. And, and the whole section is 50. So it goes down to those, where you can toy toy down there. Yeah. Um, so are you going to put all the houses on the five acres and keep the rest for Yes, so we've done all the rating and everything for 18 houses to start with. 18 houses and then we're going to, as, as stage one. But it's developing the model. It's developing the model for the families. And what's that, what does that entail? It means buying land, changing it from um, getting it zoned to medium density residential, uh, changing it from European land to Māori land, taking on a huge amount of debt, $800,000, up front as a little trust. It means um, taking basically a huge, a huge risk because these families are families that are, have been refused state housing assistance. So the trust is providing housing assistance for the families. Why have they been refused housing New Zealand help? Well, out of 57 people, we thought nine would get uh, bank loans. None of the families are able to get bank loans. So credit rating, uh, lifestyle choices, risk-taking behaviour. Um, and so we've turned it from European land into Māori land. There's no drug, alcohol or violence allowed on site and that's managed by a way the trust will own the land, the families will own the houses and we're going to give them a perpetual licence to occupy. And so uh, uh, if they get a conviction in a court for any uh, drug, alcohol or violence offence that's happened on the site then we terminate the licence to occupy, get the house valued and put another family in the homes. And are the families keen to come in on those terms? Uh, yes, yeah, so the families that we have are families that are trying to escape that type of lifestyle because of the communities that they live in right now. 
What sort of conditions are they living in at the moment, Ricky? They're living in um, cow sheds, lean-tos, buses, cars, with families on the floor, um, overcrowded, very unsafe and unhealthy living conditions. So they're keen to come and wanting to make changes? Yeah, they want to... They want, a, they want an opportunity to hop on the bottom rung of the home ownership ladder, mm. and this project will offer them that. It's funny, isn't it, when you think about it, 800000 sounds like a huge amount, but it's about the price, average price of a, one home in Auckland at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so uh, the, um, um, how this project worked was the trust had to put in, for every dollar the trust put in, the government would put in a dollar, and that's how, that's how we've been able to achieve it this project to where the stage it is now. So you had to find 800,000 and the government put on the other. But in the end, you're going to be housing how many families? What's the aim? There's 18 families here, so um, uh, for a spend of $1.6 million, you've got uh, 50 acres, you've got um, nine homes ready to occupy, and all the infrastructure, roading, stormwater, wastewater, everything for the next nine houses. So the next nine houses that come on site here before Christmas will be able to uh, tap immediately into all the infrastructure on site. In the end, though, how many houses do you envisage being part of this village? Well, there's 50 acres. There's plenty of room for expansion, and there's no reason why we wouldn't extend it out uh, into other areas. There's plenty of needy families out there that are looking for a someone who is prepared to put up land with um, infrastructure and put houses on it for them. You're aiming to be have, have a, a village that's self-supporting in a lot of ways. Tell me about that. Yes, yeah, so here we've got, um, over there, we've got stock. Uh, we've got our own micro-business incubator unit, eight-bay unit. And so um, milk shed, we've got our own school. We're going to put shops at the front. Uh, we've just finished planting 200 fruit trees. Community gardens, uh, I'm just working on the plan to start that uh, in September. With soil here? Very good soil. So um, essentially at the end of the day with the school, the school will be up and running before Christmas. We've had some setbacks because of trying to get the water hooked on, but we're past that now. But essentially uh, the families will get meat, milk, eggs, fruit, veggies, uh, medical care, pastoral care, early childhood care, no deposit, $190 a week, and they'll own it in 17 years. This is the ultimate wraparound really, isn't it? Mm. It's, it's an opportunity to show uh, one model, not the, you know, it's not the model, but it is one model of what can do if a community makes those uh, living in some of the most horrible living conditions a priority. But we also, um, we also save at least one to two homes a week for mortgage sale. We do a lot of uh, mediation. We do um, the home ownership educational program. And uh, next month we're starting substandard housing, which is we're going to uh, repair 22 homes that have been identified as homes that uh, children are living in that are either substandard or their health and safety is at risk. That project's going to be launched in Tahapua next month. What drove you to do this sort of work? How did you get into this? Into housing? Into this whole Kōrawai Trust business. Did you found it or where did it come uh, from? Well, a group of... Uh, a group of very like-minded people came together. I mean, I've worked uh, in community all my life. Um, I was born out of a community, um, and I spent uh, a number of years 
in and out of um, uh, institutions there, but that's because the, I was made a state ward and I spent five years inside a psych unit. My mother was placed into care and we, went, we were told we weren't under proper control. And whilst I was there as a very young adult, I, um, I sat there and I always thought if ever I got the chance to uh, lend a hand and to offer hope, then that's what I would do. And I've been doing that all my life. So I guess the, the passion and the drive comes from um, sitting in a room where everybody told me that I was a naughty boy, <laughs> that I'd never ever be any good. And uh, I wanted to make um, make all those that looked after me and loved me proud. And I think um, I'm down the track to achieving that. I'd say you were. <laughs> <laughs> Where was the turning point for you? Do you remember? Turning point was, um, I think, um, with my wife, uh, with my wife and. Um, and um, the fact that um, I, I mightn't have had any credentials, but I always worked hard, had two or three jobs. I owned my home when I was 17, um, got on with my life. But I think the turning point is uh, definitely just having the support from my wife there. She said, you know, you do what you've got to do. She allows me to go and work with the people, to love the people, to go home all broken down and wounded. And she looks after me, sends me back out there and said, now get out there and keep on doing it and, you know, for as long as you want to do it. <laughs> so is this the woman who you had a child with at 14? Or is this... I met her when we, you know, I met her. She, is, um, um, she was just, a, funny enough, how I met her was she was uh, doing a cooking class and she was going to throw out these scones. She opened up the window and said, hey, do you want some scones? And I said, I'd love to have some scones, thank you. And that was it. <laughs> yeah, it's cheap, wasn't it? Yeah. So it's pretty cheap. I'd say it was meant. <laughs> How old was she? Was she older than you? She's a year older. She comes from a yeah. beautiful, beautiful family. But no, look, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, these families, um, they fill me with hope. They fill me with hope and they fill me with excitement. Um, what you're going to see here is seven, in the next few weeks are 17 adults and 43 kids running around here. Um, they'll have their own rooms. They'll have their own homes. I'm just, I'm just so excited for them. And and and, do I think that we're going to have problems? I, yeah, you know, I I, en I envisage a couple of problems in terms of everybody settling in. But at the end of the day, um, we're here for the babies. And um, if we all stay focused on on the babies and the children, then that will give us the opportunity to get over ourselves and get on looking after them. Kill them, okay. Kill them. <laughs>